Welcome to A View from the Ditch. A new dawn is heralded as uh, Quarantine FM has sadly gone off the airwaves. But don't worry, on this Easter Monday, we have uh, risen to the challenge uh, and we're here broadcasting, telling you the stories of the week and interviewing some interesting interesting people with some interesting views on the world. Um, And as per usual, I'm joined by William Dalton. How are you doing, William? Doing well now. Super. So we've got a fascinating guest on later in the show to discuss the Shannon LNG terminal, which is very topical, uh, I think, given that the Greens have been making it their mission to put themselves front and centre of the news for wrong reasons all the time for some reason. Uh, They seem to want to outdo Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael when it comes to uh, I don't know, making a hash of their any sort of political capital that they might have gained. Well, we're going to come on to talk about some rows within the Green Party uh, yet again, I'm afraid. Um, but yes, it is relevant to that, of course, because the ban on LNG was notably left out of the revised climate bill. Yeah. But in the, before we get into that, are you excited for our um, foray into the podcast world? Our full foray, I should say. Yes, I I mean, everyone's launching a podcast now. They're ten a penny these days. So, but here we are anyway. We're joining, joining in. Oh, but, but we're a pretty shiny penny, I'd say. Yeah, that's the spirit. As our producer, surely you're excited that uh, you know the shackles have been taken off. You know, you can just let loose, go crazy. That's true. We're not constrained by the grueling uh, broadcasting, the exacting broadcasting schedule. Of quarantine FM, yeah. our Lord and Master Anna Rose Charlton. Yeah, we've been freed at That's last. Right. Yes. Anywho, as we said with the Green Party, uh, Hazel Chu is part of a big mess that shouldn't be a mess, given it's just about the Shannon and no one cares uh, really about this Shannon by election, and she's probably not going to get elected anyway. But well, her she's nominated herself as independent uh, and. Am I right in saying created a big mess in doing so? So first of all, it's not true to say that she's nominated herself. She put her name forward, but sorry, she was nominated by uh, many others, including the deputy leader of her own party, Catherine Martin. And also, it should be said that technically the Shannon does not recognize political party membership. What does that even mean? That is in theory. Like in theory, all senators are independent. Now, in practice, we know that's not the case. But uh, what do you mean in theory? Like, but surely those. So, is the whip rule in the doll part? Like, does the doll rec- recognize that, or is that just some, not that's something part, that, that's the part, an internal party matter? Exactly. So, so surely, so how can the Shannon not? You know, oh, I don't see parties. You know, everyone's just a politician to me. 
Well, it's now, how just, can that affect the internal party? Just saying, well, actually, we're going to whip these boys into doing whatever we want. In practice, it does not affect them. I'm just saying. No, it's it, just it, nonsense. No, but I, okay, but it is nonetheless technically the case, and obviously, there is a an upcoming Shannon by-election, as everyone knows. You know, yes. every, everyone's talking about. What panel it. is it? Sorry, excuse me. Two by <laughs> two two by-elections. Um, to right. the agricultural panel and the yeah. industrial and commercial panel. Now, these by-elections were occasioned by the resignations of two senators, Sinn Féin's Alicia McCallion, who resigned after failing to promptly return payments from a COVID small business grant scheme that she received incorrectly. Interesting. Now, she has repaid them in full, but she didn't return them promptly, so she, she was asked to resign. And the other one was Fine Gael's Michael Darcy, who resigned in order to become chief executive of financial lobby group, the Irish Association of Investment Managers. So what these lo- that's mad. Uh, how many different financial groups can Fine Gael run like? You know, Brian Hayes, well, he's you know, same. isn't he part of a financial group? Brian Hayes, I believe, is a lobbyist, yes. For some the Banking Federation of Ireland. What about that that fellow who went to the EU? Is that is he going to do a banking thing? I think you might be confusing him with Michael Darcy. Michael Darcy. Yeah. Well, was there not a TD? Was there not a TD? Oh, yes. maybe I'm confusing Michael Darcy. Is he only stepped aside now? No, this was this happened last year. But the by-election is only happening happening now. Ah, uh, yeah, because there was a big SIPO issue about Michael Darcy. That's right. Okay. Okay. But nonetheless, anyway, he's gone, and we're now having a by. We're now having two a pair of by-elections. So the elections are taking place by postal vote from the 7th of April to the 21st. Although I assume that doesn't affect many of our listeners because only members of the Oireachtas are entitled to vote in a Shannon by-election. So TDs, TDs and senators. And uh, yeah, ordinarily, uh, members of the vocational panels are elected by Oireachtas members and councillors, but for a by-election, it's just Oireachtas members. But anyway... So they're essentially both going to be government appointees then? Not appointees, no, because it's a secret ballot, so... Rockless members don't, won't necessarily always vote along party lines. Oh, that's true. Uh, but anyway, there's an agreement between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. So they're each putting one candidate forward. And Greens. And the Greens have agreed to this. No, no, no. Well, we'll come on to that. Because that's disputed. But they've each put forward one candidate in the hopes of electing both of them, obviously, one on each panel. Yeah. Now, of course. the controversy is that Hazel Chu has put herself forward as a candidate and received the requisite nominations. Against this is the, a Green Party's uh, head of the board court, is it, or the she's chair chairman, of chairperson of the, chair. of the party? Char- party chair, yeah. And um, Lord Mayor of Dublin. That's right. And um, so against the express wishes of her party leader, she's gone forward as a candidate, but she's been backed by several others in the party, including the deputy leader, Catherine Martin. And Chu herself has made the point that there was no formal pact in place for them to back the Fianna Fáil Fine Gael candidates. There may have been an informal agreement, but it was not a formal pact. So there was no whip in place to, to vote for those candidates. And she has not, she says, and she would know, being party chair, that she has not broken party rules. But she won't be endorsed by the party. But as I said, technically, senators are independent. So she's perfectly within she's, her rights to go as a, to, to stand. Um, although she, but, but, obviously it's it's caused massive controversy in the party to the point that her colleagues or her party colleagues in the Shannad uh, tabled a motion of no confidence as chair. Uh, now that was actually ruled out of order and that motion was withdrawn. But 
the Green Party, excuse me, the, the Parliamentary Party subsequently voted in favour of a motion requesting that Chu temporarily step aside as party chair. And, uh, and all this happened in the week that they um, unveiled their kind of showpiece legislation, which was the Climate Action Bill. That's right. It, it does. It is. And I, I think I probably know more about uh, her running for the Shannons than I do about that bill. Absolutely. In terms of coverage, <laughs> the Climate Bill. Now, maybe it'll be, there'll be more in, in weeks to come, but this has certainly dominated and it really does seem to be another case of the greens uh, shooting themselves in the collective foot yeah it was pretty i listened to is it senator roisin garvey i don't know if i want to get that wrong but i listened to one of the yeah is a green senator i listened to one of the green senators on um Claire Byrne, the radio show, and uh, she was pretty irate about the whole thing and she was saying you know oh well you know, we can all go, so we can go to our friends and get them to nominate us, you know, if we have friends in high places, uh, which was a pretty, uh, a pretty um, scandalous way of describing the situation, especially if it's true, like, you know, essentially Hazel 2 gets sorted out because she's mates with the top brass. That's, yeah, that's pretty inflammatory. I've also seen Hazel Chu accused of careerism, which I find strange because I don't see how it's any more careerist than anyone else running for the Shannon. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not necessarily a, you know, a, a comparison. You know that they're allowed to. Maybe he's a chick. Say you're curious too, and they go, "I know," but uh, you know, I'm just pointing out that you are too. Oh, you're saying it might not be an insult. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying it is an insult, but they just, um, you know, they doesn't mean you can insult someone if it's true of you. Like perhaps I, it's perhaps ironic that the people who seem most irate about her running for the Senate are three green senators. Yeah, who are probably worried about. Uh, yeah, her stepping on their careers. Well, yeah, that's one interpretation. <laughs> Although she has said she would take the whip and obviously, uh, you know, vote with the party if she did, if she were elected. What the likelihood is of her being elected, I don't know, but it's certainly, <laughs> it's well, it's caused more discussion about this Shannon by-election than I think certainly otherwise would have been the case. A service to democracy, you could say. Yeah, if you call the Shannon democracy, which of course it's not directly elected, so ah, but it's directly elected by our directly elected doll. Yeah, so indirectly. Yeah, but two wrongs make a right, huh? <laughs> not very, <laughs> not very democratic. Anyway, we're not going to get into <laughs> debate about Shannon reform on this particular episode. Maybe we should, though. If you, we yeah, don't we talk about that. Sure, who? Loads of people. It's a, it's a topic many people have strong, strong feelings about. James Doyle, actually. We should get James Oil on top of that. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I, yeah, so you're finally on the Shannon by-election. There are some of the other candidates running. You may be interested. Uh, Chicago-based publican Billy Lawless. Uh, so he's home, from, <laughs> he's home from Chicago at the moment, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> What's so funny about that? Mad. And also... <laughs> And also, well, I mean, he got. Uh, someone must think he's a suitable candidate because he got the requisite nominations to appear on the ballot. Yeah, uh, he's yeah. he's standing mm-hmm. for the industrial and commercial panel, and for the agricultural panel, um, there is former president of the Ulster Farmers Union, Ian Marshall, who is from a unionist right. background, and he's endorsed by Sinn Fein and the Social Democrats. Great. Um, and then Labour are also running candidates in both panels, but uh, Kieran Hearn. 
That's right. Kieran Ahern is one, and the other one is Angela Feeney. So yes, we'll see. Obviously, exciting. We'll all be tuned in for that, huh? Indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, perhaps we should move on to to another political story of the week, which uh, a sequel of sorts. It's uh, Fine Gael and children's shoes. Jesus, a long way to sequel. Indeed, 40 years, roughly. <laughs> um, so, and people will have heard, uh, RTE has apologised to Pascal Donoghue over what they're calling, over the manner in which a question about children's shoes was put to him on Morning Ireland by, mm. Gavin, by Gavin Jennings. So what Gavin Jennings said was, quote, I know that your party have a particular history when it comes to children's shoes, but can you understand why this is a particularly sensitive issue? And the context was that they were talking about calls for children's shoes to be made an essential retail item. Now, Pascal Donahue reacted angrily, very touchily to this question. and Shades of Michael Martin. Yes. And, and um, then at a subsequent Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting, there, was, uh, there were eruptions, uh, Patrick O'Donovan said, quote, it was an outrageous question. And uh, Senator Jerry Butmer <laughs> of Golfgate fame said it was appalling. And the party, the Fine Gael party and Pascal Donahue's office made com- both made complaints to RTE. Yeah, I, I, I listened to it as well. And I think like the uh, I do think the style was just a bit the style of the question was just slightly I don't know, a bit underhanded. He did, you know, he, I think he could have just said, you know, uh, in the early 1970s, uh, Fine Gael, sorry, in the early 1980s, Fine Gael, um, you know, wanted to put a vat on uh, children's shoes, which seemed like it turned out to be a pretty clueless policy at the time. What is it about Fine Gael that, that seems to uh, have such a blind spot in this area? Like that's that pretty. I think that's no, that uh, would have been a much more pointed way of putting it than Gavin Jennings actually did, in my opinion. Like he made a reference to it, uh, an off <laughs> kind of reference to it, very innocently referencing a historical. Fact. I know, but that, that's the problem with it. He kind of he talked about it. Well, yeah, but he he, he kind of went, oh, geez, you have a history of this, oh, gee, huh? and then went to ask a different question as opposed to just okay, let's let's talk about the history of this. No, it wasn't a different a different question. It was a related question. I think so. I think it's a very strange decision by RTE to to apologise. I, and I thought Gary Gannon uh, summarised this well on Twitter when he said, uh, "This is an interesting precedent." RTE apologised for referencing a historical fact while questioning a current minister on a related policy issue. Will all political parties be afforded, be afforded the same treatment? Reeks of entitlement, both making the complaint and accepting it as valid. And I have to say, I agree with the, with that. Yeah, I remember. So when I listened to it, I did think that's a bit of an underhand way of asking it. But then when I heard um, Pascal Dunhue responding, I was thinking, wait a minute, you're, you're like, you're, he said he was saying, Jesus, you know, that was, you know, you're, you're just saying because it's my party who did this and, you know, I'm in the party and we're doing it now, like, th- that it's related. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what he's saying and that's important. You know, it's very clear that yeah. what happened before, just because you weren't around then doesn't mean it doesn't matter now. And some of the people who were around then are still around, mm. you know. Um, and so for those who don't know, if some of our younger listeners, including, I mean, like neither, neither of us were around for this, but... Yeah, what, what Gavin Jennings was referring to was in 1982, 
when the Fine Gael-led coalition collapsed after then-Finance Minister John Bruton decided to introduce VAT on children's shoes, and that led to the budget being defeated by one vote. The government collapsed and there was a general election, and the coalition lost the election. Uh, an infamous uh, episode in Irish politics, and um, I think we're going to hear a little archival clip. The decision to put VAT on children's shoes was causing uproar on the Doyle. Before Bruton had even finished speaking, several independents got up and left the chamber. I'm going off now to go through it and half an hour. If my will be voting, I have my mind made up. This is the most important and difficult decision of my life. Is it a possibility that you will be voting against the government on certain motions this evening? Well, there is a strong possibility. I knew from talking to Jim Kimmy that it wasn't going to go through. So I rang my friends at Limerick and I said, there's an election on, will you please crank up the machine? We're on the road again. <laughs> that was my reaction. The budget was defeated by just one vote and the government fell. The following day, Fitzgerald made the situation worse. He joked that VAT had to be placed on children's shoes, otherwise women with small feet would buy them to evade tax. And my sense of humour got the better of me. I said, oh yeah, the civil servants told us that some women have smaller feet than some children, you see. You can't distinguish. And that became the reason the government fit. It wasn't, of course. That wasn't what Kemi's concerned about at all. The issues he'd raised, and which brought on the government, were, were different ones. But in politics, a sense of humour can be absolutely fatal. So there we are. Oh, I hadn't. I didn't know much about this at all before this. Um, I, I don't even know if I knew. I vaguely maybe heard the phrase "children's shoes" and government, you know, but but the, not much else. But and listening to them there, it's just oh, it's hard not to feel that they're quite arrogant about the issue because I don't know. It seems like they probably thought, "Oh, let's just get a bit of extra money here," you know, no bothers. Oh, the children's shoes, no vat on those. Oh, sure, stick it on there. And then Fitzgerald there trying to laugh it off as if it was a joke, which is so lame. Like, isn't that the kind of classic lame thing kind of someone does when they, they say something stupid or, or are over the top and say, oh, I'm only joking with you, man. I'm only, I'm only joking. Yeah, for, for Gareth Fitzgerald to say there he was being punished for having a sense of humour, I think, is <laughs> a, a misreading. Of the well, it's kind of funny. It, ironically, it's it's amusing. Yeah. Um, what he said, you know, to imply that that women with small feet would be <laughs> it's absolutely gross, mental grossly stupid thing to say <laughs> it's crazy um, even in jest uh, that is... and, uh, yeah. can you imagine but there we are so this is why this is what um, this is the background obviously that Pascal Donahue was getting so tetchy about yeah and it's an issue that because I saw Sarah McInerney was on the Late Late Show and there was a clip that went you know slightly viral about um now maybe two men in a glass podcast house can't throw stones but uh about how most government decisions these days are all made by men you know and it's always men on podiums and this uh children's shoe issue is, is indicative of that indeed so i imagine Fina gale would feel worried about that being the image you know because they dropped a lot of female ministers when they went into coalition. That's right. And, yes, and historically, Irish politics, obviously, was dominated by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and it was also extremely patriarchal, you know, compared to other countries. There were 
hardly any women in ministerial positions or even members of the Dáil until very recently. There was a slight correction, but we're, we're still, you know. Are there going to be new gender quotas? Go. Are there going to be new gender quotas in the next election? They will increase, yeah, from thirty percent to forty percent. Wow, God! Well, that's a great. Whoever got that? Who got that through? That's a great piece of legislation. It was the Fine Gael Labour Coalition that came in under. And if you remember, there were Fianna Fáil TDs who challenged it in the courts. Fellas who were, <laughs> who were annoyed at having been passed over for selection as, by, in favour of women challenged the constitutionality of gender quotas. And, Very interesting. Uh, Anywho, sorry, we're getting off. We're getting off yeah. topic. It does, to sum up, it, says, it does set a dangerous precedent, especially given how you know, inane it seemed at the time. You know, I'm sure this, if you look through the things, especially when you look at, say, the way Sinn Féin is brought up willy-nilly, or the IRA and Sinn Féin, like, that's far more egregious. It's like, you know, uh, they're talking about, uh, I don't know, you know, the, their latest policy on insurance, and it's like, well, the IRA needed need insurance, you know, when they were blowing people up, did they? Huh? I know. I know, I'd say... I, I can imagine how Sinn Féin must feel about RT apologising over that. In my opinion, it's perfectly legitimate to bring up the children's shoes. It's, it's you know, it's part of the, it's a historical fact about the party party's policy. Well, within, well I, I completely agree. It's a quite an interesting within, historical within, parallel. Indeed. And I'm amazed, not amazed, Anywho. but I think it's strange that RT have apologised for that. Uh, anyway, that's where we are. And I will say, actually, Miriam Lord wrote a good article about it in... Uh, it was in Saturday's Irish Times about that whole Great. saga. Um, so moving on then, on our previous show, the last one we we did on Quarantine FM, one of our guests was Michelle Gavin, Waterford shop steward, about the status of the Debenhams dispute. Since then, um, there has been there have been significant developments uh, in the dispute as uh, KPMG, the liquidator, came in and removed stock under cover of darkness from Debenham's Blanchardstown. Uh, would have been in the early hours of the morning uh, last week. So there was a statement from the Debenham shop stewards about this. And they said, excuse me, th- this statement was on the 1st of April. Just before 5 a.m. this morning at Blanchardstown, after four and a half hour standoff, the Guardi forcibly removed former Debenhams workers and supporters from the path of trucks that were permitted under level five restrictions to load up the stock in the store and remove it. And they go on to say, so they, they point out it's a week, just a week short of the anniversary, uh, the first anniversary of their struggle. There'll be 365 days on the pickets. So they go on to say, how many ordinary people, including small business owners, have we heard talk about the hardships they have had to endure for months by obeying the rules and here a liquidator gets an effective guard escort for lawbreaking. We fully anticipate that they will attempt the same at other branches of Debenhams in the coming days and weeks, obliging us and our supporters again to make a stand. So a pretty serious escalation there by the liquidator, KPMG, in the dispute. Oh, yeah, to say the least. And it's 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 so going to be pose, you know, a big issue for uh, the Debenhams strikers because... You know, once that stock is gone, they've very little um, to bargain with. You know, very little. Uh, they they very little stock. Excuse me, for the pun, but to to bargain with. You know, they don't sure who's going to be listening to them if they've nothing to to protect. That's right. The, their leverage is the, is the stock, 
KPMG know that, the government know that. And the government have said nothing about this, you know, even though they've, you know, we've heard words from Michal Martin last year saying, oh, you know, this is a terrible situation what's happened to the Devon's workers. And you've, you know, you've had the recommendations from the, the mediator, Kevin Foley, and now this is going on, we're not hearing anything. And I have to say the a lot of the main uh, media outlets are fairly quiet on the Debenhams dispute lately as well. I certainly haven't seen Can I clarify like what law they're breaking? They're saying they're breaking. Is it is this to do with the COVID laws or what the sh the shop stewards are saying here? They're breaking level five restrictions. Yeah, because how is this essential uh, work? As one of them put it, like is strike breaking now regarded as as essential work? Well, I suppose their argument would probably be that you know delivery of goods is generally essential work, and they're you know, no matter what the goods are, you know, people like say DPD are delivering all sorts of stuff to people's houses and what's the, what's the this difference? Is not some, this is totally different because it's not delivering to someone's house. This is a, first of all, it's a closed retailer, which is the government have told us is not essential retail. Uh, as as Damien English infamously said, clothes are not essential. But non-essential retail can still deliver to your house. Yeah, but this wasn't delivering anything to people's houses. It was going in to collect stock. But sure, as but as part potentially to to, to sell it in the future, like he, maybe, maybe as, is, all along that chain. I, maybe that is the argument they they would make. Yeah, I assume that is the argument. But it also, like, but I think the bigger oh, yeah. Previously, there was a truce and an agreement that they would notify the union if they were going to come in and clear stock. Oh, and that was clearly just sure. Sure, didn't they? Well, there was a truce, but sure, didn't they secretly turn up at the middle of the night to try to sneak it all out? Yeah, that has happened before. And this was obviously in the middle of the night. Did it. And, and according to there was a statement from the union mandate, and they said they only received formal notice early in the morning. And it was issued via email to mandate solicitors uh, just prior to midnight with the obvious intention of keeping the union uninformed. That's what, that was what they said. You'd have to assume they're going to do the same then for all the other shops. And there's not a lot, unfortunately, that the Devon strikers can do about it. I suppose other than let people know what's going on raise awareness and yeah um, hopefully that'll make it a political issue yeah and again uh, yeah i would maybe encourage people to listen to our previous uh, chat with michelle gavin but i mean if this continues it seems likely we'll be talking to someone about this again in the near future yeah because that's a big escalation because nothing has happened in so in ages which was the problem and now this is an even bigger problem potentially yeah so We'll see how that develops, but as you say, uh, serious uh, escalation. Cool. So let's get on to your interview. I, I yeah, I, uh, in my opinion, a very interesting chat with Johnny McElligot of Safety Before LNG. He's been campaigning for many years against the Shannon LNG terminal. Yeah, and uh, I've got a chance to listen to it, and it is fascinating to say the least. Just by way of introduction to my interview with John McElligot, 
of safety before LNG. Shannon LNG, now owned by the US group New Fortress Energy, proposes to build a plant on the County Kerry side of the Shannon estuary that would convert liquid natural gas, or LNG, back to gas. Safety before LNG represents local residents who've campaigned against the project in its various forms over many years. The LNG would largely be fracked gas imported from the United States. Fracking, for those who may not know, consists of horizontal drilling combined with high-volume hydraulic fracturing to extract dispersed oil and natural gas, primarily from shale bedrock, that would otherwise not flow to the surface. To quote one summary of the scientific research on the impact of fracking, quote, The rapidly expanding body of scientific evidence is massive, troubling, and cries out for decisive action. Across a wide range of parameters, from air and water pollution to radioactivity to social disruption to greenhouse gas emissions, the data continue to reveal a plethora of recurring problems and harms that cannot be sufficiently averted through regulatory frameworks. There is no evidence that fracking can operate without threatening public health directly and without imperiling climate stability upon which public health depends. The only method, uh, the only method of mitigating its grave harm to public health and the climate is a complete and comprehensive ban on fracking. And indeed, fracking was banned in Ireland in 2017. The importation of fracked gas, however, has not yet been banned. In December, the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Climate Action recommended a ban on the importation of fracked gas and LNG terminals in particular, but such a ban was not included in the revised climate bill published in late March. The programme for government agreed last year contains a commitment to withdraw the Shannon LNG terminal from the EU Projects of Common Interest list in 2021. Inclusion on the PCI list would give the project access to a multi-billion euro funding pot and a streamlined planning and permit process. A High Court judgment of the 30th of March against the Friends of the Irish Environment Group means that as of now, the Shannon LNG terminal remains on that list. In the words of my guest today, quote, a loophole in the Climate Act was successfully argued by Eamon Ryan's department in the High Court to allow Shannon LNG to stay on the fourth PCI list. On the 20th of March, New Fortress Energy announced that it's preparing to apply for planning permission again for the Shannon LNG terminal. Okay, so Johnny, thanks for joining the show. Um, back in November of last year, there was a legal victory for your group after 13 years of campaigning when the High Court quashed all development consents for the Shannon LNG, LNG terminal. Uh, the case was taken by the group Friends of the Irish Environment. And in your press statement at the time, you said... You said this decision has now opened up a window of opportunity for Ireland to, Ireland to ban the importation of fracked gas. Now, uh, a ban on the importation of fracked gas was recommended by the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Climate Action and uh, an end to the Shannon LNG project was promised in the Programme for Government. And indeed, we've had a domestic ban on fracking since 2017. So I wonder, in your view, why hasn't that ban on the importation of fracked gas been included in the recently published revised climate bill? 
Um, in a sentence, I think it's trade over everything in the European Union, uh, geopolitically with, this, with the United States for the sale of American gas into Europe, the issues about the Nord Stream pipeline from Russia to Europe, the sanctions on the Nord Stream pipeline, uh, the German government uh, six months ago offered 1 billion euros to pay for the construction of two LNG terminals importing American frack gas in return for America dropping the sanctions. So there is a lot of pressure from an Irish perspective uh, in politicians' minds thinking we must not give the impression we're attacking trade with, uh, with the US. The importance of the court case was... You know, the program for government promised that um, uh, that Ireland would not support the um, importation of frack gas, um, that it did not make sense to develop LNG terminals importing the frack gas, and that the government would not support the frack gas, but that they would conduct, um, uh, they said that they would write a policy document to establish that approach. So they were going to develop a policy statement at some stage in government. So when, so they came into power in June, and we put no pressure on them, really, even though it was very tempting to. But it's as the court case was proceeding, Shannon LNG still had planning permission uh, given by Board Planola, which was being appealed to the courts. When they lost the court case in November, there was they had no rights. They'd lost all development rights. So that was a very opportune moment to bring in the written policy statement before they make a new planning application. That's why that case was so important. So no company has rights to develop any LNG or frac gas import terminal in Ireland. And um, that was November. It's now April and we still haven't seen the policy statement. And when uh, they're promising to produce a policy statement that I could write in half an hour. It's very simple, what you, what you would ask for. And they still can't do it. So they're playing politics. And so we're coming from, uh, we're activists. We're saying, why is that not happening? And we're getting a lot of pressure from our supporters and people saying, well, they promised this and they, don't, they didn't even deliver that. And that's the basis of the problem. When somebody promises something and even the legalistic language that they use to explain political objectives. Uh, the politicians seem to be, get very legalistic when they really can't give you a yes or no answer. But even the very legalistic promise of a written policy statement that would establish the approach that Ireland no longer supports the importation of frack gas, um, they couldn't do that. And that's where we have a problem. So I suppose that then brings us back to the question of, you know, why... Why does the importation of frack gas need to be banned if you could set out the argument? Um, well, in 2017, like you said, we banned fracking in Ireland on uh, environmental and climate and public health grounds. So fracking poisons. There was a plan to uh, develop uh, fracking in Leitrim and Fermanagh by Tamborden that would have seen the development of 16,000 wells on land, it's very difficult for people to imagine until you see it. I mean, if you go onto the internet and you look at DISH in Texas, you know, you zoom down by satellite on Google Maps, you just see it's like somebody has the measles. Every 200 meters, there's a well. So, and over the years in fracking in the States, which is going on there, we've got a lot of information on the health impacts. 
So we banned it in Ireland in health grounds. And as Roisin Keegan O'Rourke um, uh, said in the Youth Assembly, you know, we banned fracking in Ireland. Why should we, in the interest of uh, communities worldwide, we should not be an overseas market for methane? Because if we banned it in, in those grounds in Ireland, why should we then be importing it from an area which has to suffer the consequences of something we decided not to do in Ireland? So it's public health, environment and climate impacts. I suppose maybe to come back to the specifics of the of the Shannon LNG project, the campaign yeah. goes back uh, to 2006 when it originated as the Kilcolgan Residents Association. Um, I wonder if you could describe how the opposition originated and how it developed over time. In other words, what what the initial uh, objections were back then. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I thought it was a great idea. It sounded great on paper. We saw this lovely brochure, you know, a ship will come in and bring in liquid gas and it'll just go into the system, very clean. Um, you know, if there's a leak, it just it just evaporates immediately. But as we started looking at the information, we realized that um, uh, liquefied natural gas, if there's a leak, it, it won't evaporate immediately. It can travel uh, up to 12 kilometers and still be ignitable because it's heavier than air. And when a company tells a blatant untruth, you, you, you get doubtful. You know, you think it's great. And that was the first untruth or lie. And um, the problem was that uh, somebody said that if it blows up, um, it was Robert uh, Jerry Havens, eminent uh, professor from uh, Arkansas. Um, he said that the probability of an accident is very low, but the consequences are very high. So we said, wow, you know, we're living within the, the two-mile radius, the three-mile radius, um, so that if it blows up and people have to be subjected to the threat of, it, of, an, uh, of an accident in what would be the most hazardous site in Ireland, because it would have civis or two um, um, status, it meant that people started saying, well, is this really in the national interest? And what became a common theme through throughout the 14 years was evidence-based decision-making in a transparent manner. So it moved from, you know, a safety aspect. It was the impact on the environment because it would put out um, 100 million gallons of super cool water into the estuary because it would, it would reheat the liquid gas. Um, the, it only has to get to four degrees, I think, to become a gas. The waters in the estuary are seven or eight degrees on average. So it would be like a, a heat exchanger. But the, the water would go out 10 or 11 degrees cooler than it come in. So it would kill all the, the microorganisms, which is the base of the food chain. So it would have a huge impact locally in the Shannon Estuary, you know, where we have our residents bottlenosed off of dolphins. That's fine. You just say, it's oh, okay, it's just a few dolphins. It's just a few microorganisms. It's just people living near it. If it blows up, it'll kill most of them. Um, but it'll never happen. And then you said, okay, um, went to Milford Haven and we saw that uh, within 500 metres either side by the standards of the international um, um, LNG carrier transmission, SIGTO, that there should be no ship within 500 metres either side of any LNG tanker coming in to the estuary. And we suddenly realised that means it would block the whole estuary for further development. He was saying, wow. And the, the, the answer came back, we'll worry about that later. So as you were looking at all these issues, you suddenly realized there was no strategic thinking or planning. It was a developer decided, I have a great plan. I'll just get it in here and we'll tick all the boxes. And public participation in 
decision making was nothing more than just ticking boxes and it's just informing people of what they're going to do. And the, the idea of being a stakeholder in society, whether you agree with something or not, is that your say has an impact. You know, we are in a we are in a republic, you know, that the idea is that your say is important. And as we realized over the years, it isn't really. You 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 lose you 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 don't have a voice unless you stand up for yourself. So then it came on to the issue this time and it's changed into frac gas imports and it's moved on but it's the same themes that we're meeting constantly all the time you expect government to perform their duties in a transparent manner but when it's uh, when the, the projects are taught up by developers at a developer level and they're tweaking the whole system around a developer to satisfy that that becomes a problem so that was the common theme so then as the movement against this project developed you yeah. encountered i believe a fair bit of local opposition both from people who were you know talking about the prospect of hundreds of jobs coming to the area local politicians and the press i wonder if you could tell yeah. us about that yeah but, but like on hindsight what we really realized is that um, um the fossil fuel sector they're they're a well-oiled machine if you pardon the pun but they know how to present a project. They target the opinion farmers. The local, they got the local media on side from the very beginning. The Kerryman newspaper, the Kerry's Eye, to a lesser extent, um, and Radio Kerry. So the voice of County Kerry. And they took uh, some local people on holidays to Seabrugge, Barcelona, um, uh, on, you know, visiting terminals, five-star hotel treatment, um, you know, and once you're into that mindset that this is going to be a boom for North Kerry, we're all going to have jobs. We'll be back to the good old days of just, you know, Kitty or she and the way she might look at you or whatever they had in television is like that. They're just going to be, everyone's going to be building and it's going to be great. And, you know, it's like the cartoons where you have suddenly the cartoon and there's uh, uh, the eyes of open up and there's dollar signs in the eyes. That's what people were seeing. And they just got completely carried away with money over everything else. And they said, this is going to be jobs. And once you're, you're building expectation, expectation is the stuff of disappointment. And, you know, so when they suddenly realize, hold on, there's people here that are raising, raising other very valid issues and valid questions, um, it was a big shock to them. So there was a big pushback. Yeah, and I saw last summer uh, when that statement against Shannon LNG in the program for government uh, came out, there were, you know, very strong reactions from some of the local politicians. You described it as a betrayal, um, and one councillor said that there was no evidence in the planning documents that the facility was going to store frac gas. Uh, another said, "Quote: It was a dark day for Kerry and the entire region." Yeah, well, paper never refuses ink, and. The whole question about whether they would be using frac gas was critical throughout the campaign because um, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the States, uh, where Shannon LNG's owner, New Fortress Energy, had to file accounts, they admitted openly in those statements that they would be using frac gas. And in their submissions to the European Commission to get um, uh, for the 10 year network development plan and the projects of common interest list, they admitted that they would be using frac gas. They would be the nearest terminal to the American mainland for the importation of gas from America. 
their whole business model was based on stranded assets in Pennsylvania, which is 99.9% frack gas. That's where their business ID was coming from, whether we'd be shipping the, from the Delaware River, whether we'd be shipping the frack gas. So, you know, uh, a local councillor can say, oh, there's no proof. But just because you get a good rant on the television, we're going through the evidence. And it is it, it, in all the evidence that we've produced in the official documents, we've proved beyond doubt that it is for the importation of fracked US gas. 10 years ago, America, 15 years ago, America was importing gas, but the fracking boom took off in the States. And now, you know, at the beginning, they were saying, dig a well, bring a soldier home, American security, energy independence. But then as they started expanding, they, dig, they dug so many wells. It's like a Ponzi scheme. It needs a huge amount of investment. You dig a well, it lasts a year, you go on to the next one, etc. But the only way it can feed itself is to be constantly expanding and to be finding new markets. So now they're making so much gas in America through fracking, they can export it. And then you're into the geopolitical struggle of just, instead of having Russian gas in Europe or North Sea gas, they want to be able to get in there. And that was, that was what has changed everything, is that the Americans been able to export gas. But what they don't realize is that fracked gas is the largest in the, in the, in the US. US fracked gas is the largest single super emitter of methane in the world. So the latest scientific uh, studies, especially from Robert Howard and Cornell University, they found in 2019 that um, of the methane uh, emissions increase over the previous 10 years, one third of that was coming from fracked gas in the United States. Because when you dig wells, you dig a well, it goes into the ground, which when you cap the well, you've, you've dug about a mile on the ground and you've cracked the earth. It still leaks, it leaks up everywhere. You can't plug it. They're called fugitive emissions. And that's the difference from when you have a conventional well where you just, the gas is on top, essentially. You dig down a well and you just take the gas up in a very simplified terms. And uh, so the whole problem is that frack gas is, the, is dirtier than in Money Point in County Clare, just across the estuary from me here. Um, Robert Howard calculated that Importing frack gas to power uh, power station here in Tabert is 44% dirtier, has, uh, has a worse impact on climate than the coal importing coal into Money Point. So we're going to close Money Point to import frack gas from America, even though on a global level, full life cycle from wellhead to consumption, it's going to be worse for the climate. And that is the real issue that we've we've been facing and we found that um, in the climate bill which has gone through we were targeting the idea of non-territorial emissions that you must look at the full life cycle impact of any large energy choices we make in Ireland so when you burn gas it, it, it produces less greenhouse gases than if you burn coal so if you're only measuring what you consume in Ireland without real counting all the emissions that are upstream to where it's produced, then you're going to get a distorted measure of what are the good energy choices we can make in Ireland for climate reasons, even on that alone. Not to mention the justice reasons, climate justice, you know, um, whether it's like for electric cars, uh, you know, if we're all going to go electric cars, we need cobalt or lithium or whatever, and it's coming from the mines in Africa. You know, who's going to be mining that? Is it child labour, slave, slave labour? If we're reducing the cattle herd in Ireland, 
but it, that's going to be replaced by beef imports from Brazil, which is burning the rainforests, which is going to do worse impact on climate. You know, we have to look at the full life cycle impacts. So that's where you get the real science is a problem that for politicians that are not measuring correctly and we're becoming an emissions haven. That's the way I see the climate bill being happening. We're becoming a distorted measurement system. So more recently, you've had uh, something of a setback, haven't you, in terms of uh, in, in, in the courts, uh, there, was a, there was a legal challenge, excuse me, to the Shannon LNG project's inclusion on the European Commission projects of common interest. The fourth list. PCI list, yeah. Yeah. Um, you see, apply to get put on this list of projects of common interest in the European Commission. And the European Commission decided, you know, for the development of gas infrastructure and electricity infrastructure in Europe, we'll have a fast track process. So projects would apply to apply for this status called the PCI status in Europe. And then the member state would say, do we agree to them applying for that list? So Ireland said for Shannon LNG, yes, we agree to them going on this list. And when they're on, when they're on that list, it means that if they apply for planning permission when they're on that list, they have to be considered in the overriding public interest, highest priority status for planning, overriding public interest. They have to get planning permission. And Shannon LNG are on that list until the next list comes out, the fifth list at the end of 2021. So in the program for government, they said that, we, that Ireland would... would withdraw the Shannon LNG terminal from the EU Projects of Common Interest list in 2021. I mean, they couldn't withdraw it because it, it they didn't even apply to get on the list in 2021 because Shannon LNG don't need the fifth list. They only need the fourth list, the status that they're currently in. So if they apply for planning permission anytime up to next October, they have to be considered in the overriding public interest after losing planning permission in November. And... Um, Friends of the Irish Environment had taken a challenge that Ireland had illegally allowed them, approved them going onto this list without looking at the climate impacts. You know, like I'm saying, the full climate impacts of full life cycle, etc. And um, amazingly, um, Eamon Ryan's department, the Department for Environment and Climate Action of all words, when you think of the words like, they challenged uh, that 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 uh, claim by a Friends of the Irish Environment. And what they said was that there was a derogation, that the, a loophole in the Climate Act where government departments, ministers, public bodies, they would have to um, take climate impacts on board and greenhouse gas emissions, but the government did not have to. So they come up with this strange idea that, you know, when a minister goes in, before he goes into the cabinet room, he's his decisions could be challenged. But once they go into the cabinet room, it's the government and they don't have to challenge them. And they won the case on that grounds that there was no need to look at any climate impacts when they approved it going on the list. And the Europeans assessed the project, but that was only assessed in the European Commission. So Ireland was part of one of those groups that assessed the project in Europe, but we can't challenge that unless we get a referral to the European Court of Justice on that. But the Irish High Court didn't want to push it because there are 32 projects on that list and they're worth 28 billion euros. And 
like the European Investment Bank is no longer funding fossil fuel projects except projects that are on the fourth PCI list. There's one derogation for that as well. So if we got Shannon LNG off the fourth PCI list, if we put all the, the funding for the other projects, we could we could challenge them in, further in Europe and get the European Investment Bank not to fund any of those. So it just, you, you, you were really, this was a, a real climate case for methane, for looking at methane emissions and at a European level. Um, but they won't the case. Now, the real problem is that Eamon Ryan's department, who put forward this idea in the court case, they knew there was a loophole in Section 15 of the, of the Climate Act. And they proposed a new climate bill there. They published it last week. And it still maintains the same loophole. And Eamon Ryan's going into the doll, saying things like, there's going to be accountability and obligations on ministers and the government itself to conform with the climate bill, knowing that there's a loophole. And you realize they're playing games again. Like, I think he's misled, he's misled the doll, personally. You know, and I sent a letter to the Green Party and I said, that's what we thought. And I know they didn't like it. The truth hurts sometimes. And um, that's up for them to sort that out. But he cannot go into the doll claiming that everybody has to play their part when in actual fact, he knows that there's a get out of jail free card for the, for the government. So you're going to have all this horse trading and carbon budgets going down the line where we'll all be looking for the crumbs at the table of our carbon budgets. That's not going to look at the full life cycle impacts or the global impacts of our energy choices. And then they can go into the cabinet anyway and horse trade in the cabinet and they can't be challenging the courts. It's amazing. I mean, it brings, it's a real, it's a real question of trust of the minister how he could go into the doll and say that there would be obligations on the government, knowing quite well that he himself and his department were arguing the exact opposite in the High Court. And that has just blown us away. Like we just, you know, we haven't had a policy statement to ban frack gas imports, which was in the programme for government. The Climate Committee, when it was looking at the at the um, at the proposed initial climate bill that went to the Climate Committee for pre-legislative scrutiny, it came back with a recommendation that the government, the minister could address in the bill um, a plan to ban the importation of frack gas, you know, and specifically to ban LNG terminals in Ireland, so that he could deal with it, he could address it in the bill. So you've got a minister for the environment, a green minister who's gone around with this, you know, the green brand, and he's been offered an opportunity politically that he could deal with it in the bill, and he chose not to. And then on top of that, um, he goes to a court case, and the one way we can get them off the, pub, the projects of common interest list, where they can't be, go for planning permission in the national interest and be considered to be of the overriding public interest, is if they're not on that list. And he defends them tooth and nail to stay on that list with a loophole that he's hidden from everybody. You're kind of looking at it, and you say that... Last Tuesday, then, we were talking to Paul Kinney, or Tuesday, the 16th of March, and Paul Kinney said he was busy working on the, the court case. And I was thinking, why did he say he was busy working on a court case? Isn't he just a political advisor in the department, working on the climate bill, etc.? Why is he worrying about a court case? And it just dawned on me, like, they were, they were politically involved in that court case, and yet the department was actually writing up the climate bill. He knew about the loophole. And then it turned out in Tuesday as well, that same day, we learned that uh, New Fortress Energy had informed um, 
they did an earnings statement. So they speak to investors by video link. And they came out and they said they were going to reapply for planning on, uh, on the Shannon Estra. And it turns out the department knew that too. They've had documentation about it from what I understand. So you kind of go on, cheapers, everything is lined up for Shannon LNG. Even though there's an agreement that Ireland, in the, in the programme for government, that Ireland does not support the importation of frack gas. So you have a political party called the Green Party, who are, they're going around with this brand like, you know, the green brand, the green brand. But I think they're, personally, I think they're kind of toxic to the green brand, but they're, they're trading on that brand. And they've been politically offered a chance to put it into legislation and they won't do it. And we were working with uh, NUI Galway, the Human Rights Clinic, and they were working on this for a year. Could you actually ban the importation of frack gas? Be the first country to make a real climate difference, you know, a real climate mitigation of the first order, as Eamon Ryan referred to in the Dáil one time. This is a climate issue of the first order. And they've been offered that opportunity to deal with it in the bill. And they're kind of going, oh, well, we weren't really offered, you know, there's, pub, there's, deal, there's always compromise in the background. But that climate committee was paid for by public money. That's 17 hearings or something like that. They went on for ages. That's paid by our money, our tax money. And then they're kind of saying, oh, yeah, but that was consensus. But, you know, there's everything that's horse trading in the background. So we're looking at it from the outside. And we're saying, what are you on about? You've been offered something that you can ban the importation of fracas. So the Human Rights Clinic found a way. They had lots of legal help, lots of barristers involved in this, lots of good legal brains. And they found that you could actually conform with world trade rules. There's lots of world trade rules where you can't, uh, with EU trade rules, you can have derogations on certain grounds. So they found that if you ban the importation of frack gas, that it would conform with world trade rules. So you're always worried about being uh, sued by companies who are saying that their interests are... Um, they're being prevented from trading. So we have legal opinion that we could do this. So then maybe the, the department has its own legal opinion, but we'd like them to share it publicly, that legal opinion, and let it get into the climate bill. So the climate bill comes out and they never put anything into it. They don't deal with it. They hadn't time. It was one argument that came back. We can't delay the climate bill. So you're thinking, oh, you can't delay the climate bill. And the, the, they're knocking at the door to reapply for planning. I mean, that company has gone to court, I don't know how many times, in the high court. You know, it's worth billions to them if they get into it. So it's worth them trying another million or two in the courts to, to put in a planning application and say, hold on, we're, we, we have a status here in the national interest. They could put forward a policy statement to stop it. Like a strong policy statement would give direction to all the county development plans to be, have include, you know, abandon the importation of frack gas, not to support it. That would last between five and seven years, depending on the counties. That would, that would carry us beyond the lifetime of this government, but they won't do it. They're probably going to give something like, oh, the minister can tell Board Planola something at some stage. Like they'll go for the minimum. They're minimalistic when it comes to this, but they've been offered it on a plate and they were writing the climate bill. That was the moment the Greens had the maximum power. They were the kingmakers. You know, they were, they're benefiting from the work of activists. So they say, we're going into power. We hear Extinction Rebellion. We hear you. We feel your pain. You know, this rubbish. But then they go in there then, and they're horse trading from the minute they go in there. 
and it's all about power in their heads. Like they don't realize there's a grassroots m- movement against fracas imports. Shannon Ed and G, don't you dare, Shannon Cork or anywhere. You know, there's all these chants going on. And they're kind of saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, we know better. And uh, I'm just shocked at their behavior. They're, 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 they're actually a disgrace to the activist movement. Now they've written the bill. So now we're going to be proposing amendments. It's not, it's not we, the Green Party, it's we, we, some other party, we propose amendments. But they, they, you know, they're going to have to vote down an amendment to ban the importation of frac gas. And it's going to be interesting to see how that is. They've, they're becoming irrelevant in the way they're doing things. I know that's a bit of a rant now, but it's, well, it's no. you know, what, what they've done is, like they've put themselves in a position where they're beyond trust. There's something, there's, a, there's an issue of trust. Well, and to actually it. use a loophole in the, in the high court and then go into the doll and to say, oh, you know, there will be obligations on, on government to conform with the carbon budgets, etc. And you realize they can walk into the cabinet and do what they like. and They're accountable to nobody. That's disgraceful. Well, yeah, well, it seems like uh, th- there certainly is an issue with, with public trust if you look at uh, recent polling for the Greens. But what you're describing uh, seems to me like a massive issue of honesty, um, that there was this commitment in the programme for government to take the Shannon LNG project off the PCI list and by implication that they would kill the project. And now, from what you're saying, they're in the courts arguing for it not being taken off the PCI. Yeah, no, in the program for government, they said they would they would develop a policy statement to establish the pro- the approach that, you know, they were going to withdraw Shannon LNG and they did not support the importation of fat gas. But the pro- the, the JOCA report from the Giant Eurocters Committee on Climate Action said it could be dealt with, a ban could be dealt with in the climate bill. So you've moved on nine months. So I hear the Green Party saying, oh, but we didn't promise that in the program for government. So you've been offered something at the plate to make a real difference in climate grounds. And you were saying, oh, but we didn't agree to that. We have to go up to our masters in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to ask their permission. I mean, at this stage, no, they've printed their bill. What's the point in asking the Green Party to go up and ask somebody else? You're saying, this is what, this is what the, the movement is asking for. This is what was politically conceded by, uh, by the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And Michal Martin said in the doll that, you know, we do not support the project. You know, that was the first time it was mentioned in the doll. And you still have the Green Party. They're pushing back all the time. And imagine if they're pushing back to something that's, uh, that's a no-brainer. You're kind of saying, you know, what else are they pushing back on? You know, that's what, uh, uh, for me, it's, he's going to have to make a statement on why he thought that he could give direction in the high court to say, use a loophole and then write a bill with the same loophole in, but then go into the doll and pretend, oh, we, we, everyone, there will be oversight of everybody, essentially. That's, that's, that, that's spoofing, that's a con job. You know, I don't have the bright language to say what it is, but for me, it's misleading the doll. When you mislead somebody and you're giving them the impression you're going to do one thing, and there's going to be an all of society approach to tackling climate breakdown, and you realize they already have their get out of jail card free. Like we were very lucky the Friends of the Irish Environment took that case because we could have all hop, skipped and jumped into this where you have all the subsidized NGOs saying, oh, wow, this is great, you know, brilliant climate act. Oh, it's groundbreaking, you know. And you realize uh, there's a bit of a con job going on there. Like, you know, there's nobody, 
saying the emperor is not wearing any clothes. And when you open your mouth, then you say, sorry, you're supposed to be the Green Party, but there's a little problem here. Hands up. Oh, my gosh. You know, cancel culture or whatever you want. Like, I suppose maybe there's a feeling in some of those NGOs that this climate bill is as good as they're likely to get. Yeah, but you, like, I can't speak for those NGOs, but all I can say is that when the NGOs are cheerleading something and they're not highlighting effectively any of the downsides. So, you know, like I saw uh, Stop Climate Chaos came out with a letter to all the TDs two days after that high court or the following day after that high court decision. But that high court decision said there was a serious issue of, it highlighted the issue that there was a serious loophole in the legislation and they didn't mention that in their letter to all the TDs. I said, stop climate chaos, have some serious questions to answer. And did they mention LNG that's one exa- That's one example. Did they mention LNG at all, stop climate chaos? No, they, they never mentioned the high court case, which, which, which highlighted a serious issue that came up, that there's no government obligation, obligation on any government cabinet state decisions to conform with the Climate Act. I mean, that's a serious, that's a serious uh, uh, loophole in the climate bill. And they can't say there's a problem with that. You know, and they speak for a lot of organizations. You know, there's, there's, for me, there's a, a fiduciary uh, arrangement of trust there. You know, a lot of these different organizations place their trust in Stop Climate Chaos to say, hold on, there's a problem here. So they delegate that entrust to stop climate chaos to say, hold on, there's a problem here and stop climate chaos say nothing about what happened in the court case. I just, I couldn't get over it. And that's just one example. Like, you know, I see groups like Lovely, Trump, Future Proof Clear, you know, or well, I can only speak for our group really, Safety Before LNG. And we've got no money from anybody, but <laughs> they, they can't put pressure on you either. They be in the government or the funding organizations, or it's almost like agency capture of the environmental NGOs in Ireland. It all sounds great. But in reality, you realize there's just a few people with their fingers on all these NGOs. It's the same few people you see everywhere, whether it's the environmental legal implementation group that was set up when, when Antashka pulled out of Corrib, the Corrib case, where they just basically abandoned the community and they made some deal and they created this environmental legal implementation group, which gets God knows how much money, which is set up in a really strange manner. It's almost like cloak and dagger stuff, but there's a lot of money floating around there. And they're supposed to be the, the bridge between government and the communities to ensure the proper implementation of European rules. I haven't had much of them. You know, they're not saying much. I could go into a few more examples, but... Well, um, just, just on that, the issue, because because you mentioned uh, Stop Climate Chaos, and I've just pulled up their statement, and it, does, it doesn't mention the court case, but it does mention the absence of uh, a ban on fracked gas from the bill, in fairness. To no, the- yeah, no, but after the court case on the Ford PCI list court case, where there was a huge question of accountability, legal accountability, where you could challenge injustice in the courts, decisions by the cabinet 
like this this case is a groundbreaking case. I mean, if this case is not challenged in the Supreme Court or the Court of Appeal and then the Supreme Court, I mean, this will create a massive precedent. And not to mention that. And they're supposed to be top analysts looking at energy policy in Ireland. That's very serious. Well, I suppose, yeah, we'll see how that develops. Given all of that, um, anyway, where, where do you think we stand with the the Shannon LNG project, the re given the reapplication for planning and and um, just discussed. I don't know really. I'm kind of I'm kind of concerned because uh, um, like the guy that's behind that project, Wes Edens, he's cutthroat. He's called the subprime king. You know, lends I think it's average four thousand dollars to people, twenty six percent interest rates. Like he's just. He's down there at like, you know, what you call that does lending. Loan sharks. He's like a loan shark, but he's made billions on it. So he he goes very close to the legality. He's targeting countries and regions which are, you know, Puerto Rico, um, parts of Mexico, you know, Nicaragua, I think, Angola, they're talking about now a little bit, Ireland, almost like... Um, Places that are not really independent, that are post-colonial, a little bit like, you know, we can put pressure on them. You know, we get the foothold into the rest of Europe. They seem to be using that same approach. Oh, we're great. We're going to bring loads of jobs. We're a clean energy company, you know. And then when they mentioned the, the dreaded, we're a transition fuel, a clean transition. And, you know, they know how to spin it. So I do, what was going to happen? I think, like they said, they're going to apply it. So I don't see why they shouldn't if they're in the national interest. And they'd probably be back in the courts again. You know, it's throwing a million and you can make a billion, why not? But as far as you're concerned, the campaign against it is gonna go on. I think it's got a life of its own now. You know, the, um, I think really that, um, I think we were very lucky to have friends of the Irish environment because they've managed, you know, through just brilliant legal teams. And I'm not trying to flatter them for no good reason because they just managed to stop this project dead in its tracks, which gives government and decision makers time to come to uh, a proper, um, a proper uh, uh, evidence-based transparent decision-making process. It's given, us, it's given the legislature time to catch up you know, in 10 years, we've learned so much about the amount of people that are poisoned and killed from fracking. You know, we're learning that there's a whole new boom in LNG infrastructure, which is based on the global expansion of fracking. We know that that's leading to irreversible climate breakdown. We know that we can no longer talk about gas as a transition fuel. Clean gas is a dirty lie, as the ad goes. It's because if we allow a company like that in, we're locked in for the next 40 or 50 years. They're talking about what's their business plan. Their business plan then, they've mentioned it in one of their earnings calls, would be the data centers in Ireland. So you're going to have an American company that will pay no tax in Ireland through whatever mechanism. You'll have them powering the, the GAFA, the, the multi, American multinational data centers. They'll be powered by American frac gas. You know, it's not, they'll be calling it the emissions haven. We look great in paper if we're not looking at where all that gas, where all that energy is coming from. And we're going to be locked in. It's the lock-in that's the problem. 
you know, they have the whole expectation of profit. Once they get the permission, if you try to stop them afterwards, they can use the energy charter and the upcoming CETA um, ratification that goes ahead. They can take us to, um, you know, a litigation mechanism, which would be outside of whatever laws we have. And they'd be looking for billions. You know, that's what the problem is. We're talking then about, say, you know, what is their case in fracking in Northern Ireland? There's a study going on about fracking in Northern Ireland. A study, it's an impact assessment. And we put in a complaint there a few weeks ago about there was no transboundary consultation. And then the Department for Energy wrote, uh, wrote to me yesterday. I got a letter from them on Friday and they said, oh, actually, no, we, we've, in, we've initiated, um, um, we sent out a transboundary consultation document to the Department for Climate Action. Now, I hope, I hope the, climate, the, the Department of Climate Action in Dublin, Eamon Ryan's department, I hope they wrote him back a stiff letter saying, under no way do we support the importation of frac gas. Under no way, like we signed a pledge. Before they went into the doll, they signed a pledge, a pledge for climate saying that they were opposed to fracking in Northern Ireland. And they, you know, if they were elected, they would work constructively in the next doll to prevent fracking from taking place in Northern Ireland. I hope they remember that in their answer that they gave. But I'm seeing the answers they've given to Shannon LNG so far in the policy, not putting in... Uh, legislative ban in the published climate bill, um, not telling us that Shannon LNG were going to reapply for planning, putting in a loophole for Shannon LNG to stay on the fourth PCI list. And I hope, I hope they're going after the fracking uh, position of the Department for the Economy in Northern Ireland saying that this will not be supported under any grounds, you know, because they want to frack right up to the border. You know, if you're fracking for mana, you're, 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 you're impacting the whole, the whole island. Of course. But they they don't seem to have the, they don't seem to have this ability to, um, to just uh, uh, react politically, to say, hold on, this is this is the area that we're interested in, and they're not able to do it. They're they're becoming really irrelevant. And I know there's big. You look at the Green Party, you see lots of problems going on there. I don't really understand those problems, but I'm just seeing as an activist, and our interaction with them. It's awful, awful bad as the open Leitrim. I, I don't know. I, I just I can't get over it. I just can't. I just can't get over the way they're behaving. They're like they're in a. They're they're like the weird in power. But now they've published the bill. You know they're supposed to bring the policy statement in the next few weeks. All of a sudden, like it's been forward to the next few weeks to the cabinet. I just can't understand why that wasn't done nine months ago, or at least when the they lost their planning permission in November. You know they're a huge disappointment. Hmm. Maybe if uh, we could conclude by talking about uh, one of the stated aims of your group, which is to make other communities aware of what you describe as the template use of flout social responsibility, both by large corporations and by government. It's a common thread. It's it's about a, a public participation in decision making processes, and it's it's real genuine engagement. So you know the way in all these different planning applications, they have this thing that comes out and they say, oh, um, there will be public participation and public consultation. But a lot of the time, that is very much, uh, they're informing you what they're doing and that your voice has no difference. It's just they're ticking a box. So like what we've learned really, you know, what we've learned is like, you know, we saw what happened in Nigeria and, uh, you know, with the Ogoni 9 where Shell, basically wanted to uh, 
there was these environmental activists, Ken Sarawiba and there was a group of them. And they basically got them hung. They were hung by the Nigerian government on trumped up murder charges. And it turned out that Shell were paying, were bribing witnesses who later retracted. And, you know, that happened 25 years ago. And I was listening to it. It's always in the back of your mind. And Shell, yeah, Shell. And then Shell came to Ireland. And, you know, Ken Sarawiba had been writing to Sister Magella, uh, Magella McCann, you know, she's from Fermanagh. And she was out there for years. And, uh, you know, she, she brought uh, Mayo, the whole story of Ken Sarawiba, and when Shell, the Black Garden that they did in Mayo to the people of Mayo. And then you learn what was happening in Leitrim with the fracking in Leitrim, the way Tamborden came in. And it's a template that's happening over and over again. So we're learning how to deal with these kind of uh, big fossil fuel companies that are undermining the worker government. They promise people billions and it's going to be a big boom. And they manage to just, uh, you know, they promise people money and wealth and people can buy into that. So we're talking about the template we're trying to teach people. The template is that uh, you, if you have to insist your right to participate equitably in a way that's not prohibitively expensive in, uh, in administrative decisions. And the Aarhus Convention gives us that right. And what we've really noticed in Ireland there is a tendency for government, like in the 2006 Strategic Infrastructure Act, where before they'd be planning applications locally, but now they're using the big projects where, you know, you, you could, it would be examined by the local councils and then they'd appeal to Borpanala. And Borpanala was like a referee. You know, it had the power of the high court. It was that level, like it was, it was like, like almost like a high court decision. But now these big projects, they can go directly to Borpanala. And the only way to challenge them is through a challenge in the high courts. So we're trying to teach people that you can still participate, but we have to. It's you. You also have to create the awareness that our rights to be able to participate are being undermined constantly. Where you have a system in Ireland where now the only way to challenge major projects is through the courts, and we're in an adversarial legal system. It's not like the continental European system, which is inquisitorial, where they search for the truth a judge can initiate an, uh, an inquiry. In Ireland, it's litigious. And we're learning that it's very difficult to challenge those cases. Because like for our case here now, the, was it the last case? Yeah, when Shannon and she applied for an extension of planning, they offered a bribe. That's the way it was referred to in the in the doll, a bribe essentially. They offered a million euros to, to friends of the Irish environment to pull out of the case. Imagine a million euros. And you're kind of thinking, this is awful, Black Arden. If, they, if, if Friends of the Irish Environment had accepted the million euros and all the legal costs were paid, we'd think on paper, oh, isn't that great now? The company went through all the application, all the procedures, and there was nothing found wrong. And we were very lucky that they took the challenge because it turned out that they were right and the company shouldn't have, won, shouldn't have got an extension of planning permission. And they shouldn't even have been gotten... It, they were able to go back to... Uh, what was submitted 10 years ago previously in the previous planning application and it wasn't done correctly. But we tried challenging that in the High Court, but the case took legs. But our essential argument was correct. So what we, what you, you asked about what are we trying to, the template we're trying to teach people is that you have to participate and you have a right to engage in the process. And companies will use this um, 
like here in Kerry, they were using the local media. I mean, Radio Kerry, and especially the Kerrymen, like they're like they're like vigilantes. You know, when they lost the whole court case, the front page of the Kerrymen was betrayed in black. They, somebody will have to pay the price. I mean, it was extremely threatening and frightening language. But over time, you, we're trying to teach other groups in other places that that's just a technique. It's just a template that, you know, marketing works, but they're using marketing. You know, you see the way elections in America, whoever gets the most funding can win elections. It's, it's just pure marketing on their side. And they're rising expectations in people's minds that, oh, this is going to be great. But um, what we're trying to teach people and the issue we're trying to carry on is that we're all stakeholders and we all have a right to participate and our voices have to be listened to. So when you have the shenanigans going on with an Irish Green Party that's toxic even to the Green brand at the moment, the way they're carrying on, they're, they're peddling an influence of the Green brand and it's going to the highest bidder to get into an election, they can fool themselves. They're in an echo chamber. They're talking to themselves. But the real people on the outside, they're not blown over by it. They know exactly what's going on. And th- th- their behaviour is pathetic. You know, I-, I was looking in some of the climate committees there now and some of the different um, committees you, you, you go to. And I've seen some of the politicians and they're so impressive. Like they, they participate, they're legislators. Like when you talk to the Green Party, they think like, oh, we've decided everything. You know, one letter came back from one of the Green TDs. It was circulating. There was nothing intended. This wasn't intended for the climate bill. So, we won't, you know, we're not going to be adding it in now. We don't have time to deal with it. <laughs> You're kind of thinking it wasn't intended. But sure, it's up to the legislature, the doll, the, the people that were elected as a Republican. Const- we, we have a Republican constitution, but a republic. It's, it's not... Um, it's not a, a feudal or a kingdom, a feudal system or a kingdom system where the, 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 the ruler can change his mind at a whim. Everybody here is accountable to the law equally. And that includes the government. And we have a legislature in place, it's called the Dáil, that makes decisions. And everybody has to go and do their job and engage constructively. We're not, we're not asking any more of them. So they better get off their high horses and start engaging constructively. You know, or else they're going to just, they're going to be a huge disappointment to themselves. And when they get rid of, when their ego uh, is going to take a big fall, but they won't care. They would have been in power and they'll have their ministerial pensions. And, you know, uh, that's what I've, that's what I just look at them and I said, but they have a huge responsibility and they have a huge, um, uh, it's a privilege and an honor to be elected. But once they're elected, they can't act just for their own party. Like they're going in there to make legislation in the interests of the whole country. And they're not doing it. And it's so obvious that they're not doing it. You know, they're trying to play the activists, but they've been played themselves. And they're into this cancel culture and whatever. Like, I think, you know, I think they need to just, you know, start doing what they're being paid to do. You know, we're not we're not paid experts, but we are experts at being local. We're experts at living here. So uh, we have something to say as well. And we're going to keep saying it. We're speaking truth to power. We're telling them what is the real issue. They can they can choose to listen to it or they can choose not to listen to it. But they're the ones that are going to have to sleep at night with that.
our consciences are clear. Now, you know, I'd just like maybe to finish off with um, with a poem that uh, Ken Sarawiba wrote to Sister Magella, if you don't mind. I just thought, mm-hmm. I just thought that even it was, he wrote it in uh, the 20th of June, 1995. And um, Sister Magella, she's just so inspirational. But what he wrote was, for Sister Magella McCarran, Sister M, my sweet soul sister, what is it, I often ask, unites County Fermanagh and Ogoni? Ah, well, it must be the agony, the hunger for justice and peace, which married our memories to a journey of faith. How many hours have we shared and what oceans of ink poured from fearful hearts beating together for the voiceless of the earth? Now, separated by the mighty ocean and strange lands, we pour forth prayers, purpose and pride. Lord, the integrity of ideals. Hopefully reach out to the grassroots of your Ogoni, my Fermanagh. Ken Sarawiba. Johnny McElligot, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it from us this week at A View from the Ditch. I want to thank our guest, John McElligot of Safety Before LNG, and also Natalie Nikasaja and Irla O'Donnell for our theme music as always. If you want to write to us, it's a view from the ditch at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>